Welcome uh, yet again. Uh, let me extend a welcome to you if you're visiting with us or um, checking out the church or exploring who uh, this person of Jesus might be. We're very glad you're here. Um, we are in a series this spring that we're a couple weeks into on the life of Christ, the life of Jesus. We're calling this series. You can throw this slide up there. Hopefully you recognize the font and the um, artwork. This is a kind of a shout out to Ted Lasso. Um, they're calling it Be Curious in Search of the Real Jesus, that Ted Lasso famously says, uh, be curious, not judgmental, that um, whatever judgments you have of Jesus, whether or not you've known him for many years or just getting to know him or not sure you want to know him yet, um, that you would be curious about your exploration of him and we would, we would explore the real Jesus together. Um, and here's what we'll find as we come to these encounters with Jesus. We're just looking at encounters with Jesus all throughout the gospel accounts all spring. This will last us through the end of May. Um, we will find as we encounter this real Jesus, um, as is recorded for us in, in the gospels, he's a profound mystery. And that's okay, actually, that's what, that's what you want. Uh, you don't want a Jesus you can fully comprehend. As we look at this Jesus, we'll, we'll realize the paradox that he presents, not just that he's fully God and fully man, and what does that mean, and how does that make sense? It doesn't. But we're going to see in this paradoxical way this invitation of this Jesus as we uh, study these encounters that he has with real people, that the more that we get to know him, the more we realize we don't fully understand him. And yet, at the same time, in this mysterious encounter with him, uh, in these mysterious encounters with him, the more we don't understand about him, the more we want to get to know him. And so there's this wooing invitation of Jesus always that says, come further up and further in, come, come beyond what you can comprehend to a Jesus that you can know, even if you can't fully comprehend him. And so that is kind of the tension that we're in in this being curious. We're searching for the real Jesus, hoping that as we enter into his mystery, he will always be further beyond us than we thought and yet always nearer to us than we imagined. So bring your questions this semester. I promise we will not answer all of them. But I hope you would risk coming continually this semester to be curious with us on these encounters with Jesus. So today we're looking at another encounter. We've, we've studied a couple so far. We're looking at a man named Nathaniel. It's actually the only time Nathaniel in, in Scripture is recorded to have an encounter with Jesus. He's named one other time vaguely, but this is the only speaking time of one of the inner 12 disciples named Nathaniel that we get. Today we're going to see how Nathaniel comes to meet Jesus in John chapter 1. So if you will, turn in your Bibles to John chapter 1, or they will be on the screen. These words will be on the screen for you. John chapter 1, starting in verse 43. It says, The next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote. Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, how do you know me? Jesus answered him, before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus answered him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the son of man. This is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me before we enter this text? 
Jesus, uh, real, living, breathing Jesus, the one of whom we read about in stories like this, um, through the, through the uh, power of your Holy Spirit, would you illuminate our minds and our hearts that we might actually get to encounter the living Jesus this morning because we have, we have come to your word to do so. We all have uh, imaginations, we all have uh, preconceived notions and expectations about you. I pray that you uh, don't hold those against us, that you are not who we thought you would be, and that we would find greater things than even our expectations had of you when we come to the real Jesus. I pray you do that for us in this time. Pray also for the one who you've called to teach your word this morning, that you forgive him his sins, for they are many. We ask all this in Jesus' name, amen. So an interesting little encounter with Jesus, just eight verses, lots going on. Uh, I said this week during the worship planning meeting with Joseph, our worship director, uh, and this is not an exaggeration, the whole Bible is in these eight verses, Um, and so it's a lot to try to unpack in 20 or 30 or 60 minutes. Um, but we, we're going we're gonna to walk through almost kind of phrase by phrase and, and really study this encounter and what's kind of going on at each turn. And there's some massive things said in this text. Little just kind of quick intro. Uh, Philip, who's already met Jesus in the passage before this, he's excited. He's met this guy, Jesus. He goes back to his hometown and he finds his friend, Nathaniel. And he wants to introduce Nathaniel to this guy, Jesus, who he's just met. And this is the first thing that Philip says to his friend Nathaniel. Philip says to Nathaniel, I've got to tell you about this guy, Jesus. And the first biographical thing he says about him, the first fact he gives to Nathaniel about Jesus is this. Verse 45, we found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth. We found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth. Why did he lead with that? Why didn't he say, dude, we found, Nathaniel, we found this guy, Jesus. He could forgive all your sins. He loves you. He's he's come to die on the cross for you. Like, why didn't he lead with some of the things that we go, man, I don't know that we found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets. Like, Nathaniel would go, that doesn't excite me. Why does he lead with this? And the, the reality is, is that we're not Nathaniel, and it's really important for us to understand why uh, Philip would lead with that because here's what, here's what uh, Philip just said to Nathaniel, and I'm not over-exaggerating this. When he says to him, we found him of whom Moses and the law and all the prophet, also the prophets all wrote, what he just said is it means that the entire Old Testament, all 39 books of the Old Testament, the story of God from creation up into the coming of Jesus, from Genesis through Malachi, every page of our Bible, Nathaniel, every page of our sacred scriptures as an ancient Jew, every page of it was pointing to, hoping in, waiting for the one who would come and deliver God's people, and that guy's here. It means that every story in the Old Testament that you know with with familiarity or you vaguely know, every story leading up to Jesus is not merely about the characters in those stories. It means that every smaller story in the Old Testament leading up to the coming of Jesus is telling a much bigger and truly better story. It means that every character in the Old Testament is just a shadow of a more complete and perfect version of those characters. When Philip says, we found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, he's saying, we found the one who every page of our Bible was pointing to. 
Very similar thing happens in Luke chapter 24. This is after the resurrection of Jesus. It's on the road to Emmaus. These disciples have come to Jerusalem because they heard about this Jesus character and he was gonna lead the revolution. He was gonna save Israel and, and overthrow the Roman Empire. And these disciples come and they're walking back on the road to Emmaus dejected because the Jesus that they came to follow has been crucified and dead. And Jesus, in his resurrected form, meets these two disciples on the road to Emmaus, and he says to them, he's kind of in cloak, like they don't know who it is. And it says, beginning with Moses and the law and all the prophets, Jesus himself began to expound how every page of the Old Testament was about him. Would have loved to have been in that conversation to watch Jesus show, hey, you know that little story and that little story and that little line and that little line, it was talking about me. That Jesus is the culmination of every word of the Old Testament leading up to him. Not just some of the factual and biographical facts like he would be born in Bethlehem. No, every story is this shadow. It's like the whole Old Testament is just some giant movie preview. And movie previews are great, but guess what you're waiting for? The real thing. It's like you want to you see the real version, not just what the preview was whetting your appetite for. That what... Philip just told Nathaniel, what we believe, what scripture says about Jesus is that Jesus is the culmination of the story of Adam. Genesis chapter one through three, that Adam, the originator, the first man, the, the leader, the originator of humanity, that Jesus actually came to be the second Adam to start a new humanity. That Jesus is the culmination of the story of the promised seed to Eve in Genesis 3.15. That one would come after sin had entered the world. One would come and would crush the serpent's head and would eradicate darkness and evil and sin. That Jesus is the culmination of the story of Abraham who was promised in Genesis chapter 12, one day Abraham, one will come from your line that will bless the whole world. That Jesus is the culmination of the story of Moses, a greater prophet who would lead his people out of ultimate slavery into an ultimate promised land, and he would walk with them in the wilderness until they got there. Jesus is the culmination of the story of Boaz, the ultimate kinsman redeemer who would buy for himself and purchase for himself a bride that he might love her, protect her, and nourish her. Jesus is the culmination of the story of King David, the ultimate shepherd king who defeats the ultimate Goliath to deliver his people and is their shepherd and is their king. Jesus is the culmination of the story of Jonah who would enter the ultimate belly of darkness for three days and then go and preach God's mercy to the nations. Jesus is the culmination of the story of Hosea who would buy for himself a prostitute to make her his bride that he might take her home with him and love her. Jesus is the culmination of the story of Queen Esther, the ultimate royal figure who would intercede on behalf of a helpless people and save them from destruction. That's like 10 of the familiar characters and what Philip just told Nathaniel is, all that those stories were pointing to, I'm telling you, we found that guy. Every page is a shadow and a whisper of the ultimate one to come. The, the word in Hebrew that encapsulates all of that hope and all of that expectation and all of that longing and all of that, when is he going to come, is the word Mashiach. We say in English, Messiah. They were waiting for their Messiah. They were waiting for the one who would embody all of these things. They had had hopes that maybe the Messiah is here. Maybe, maybe it's King David. Maybe the one who slaughters the, the giant and, and rescues God's people. Maybe David is our Messiah, but it wasn't David. We need a greater David. Maybe, maybe it's this guy. Maybe it's that guy. Maybe one day, maybe it'll be one of David's sons. Maybe it's Solomon. Maybe it's, and all of the disappointment and all of the longing and all of the who will come and be our king to deliver us who will be our Mashiach. The Greek word that translates Old Testament Hebrew Mashiach is Christ. 
Who is the Christ to be? Who is the one, the anointed one, who will come and will do all of this that we've been waiting for somebody to do? And these stories, they're not just telling a greater, better, ultimate story. But if you're an ancient Israelite, if you're a first century Jew, here's what Philip and Nathaniel were holding deep in their bones as it related to this coming Christ. Is he ever gonna come? When's he gonna come? The waiting is hard. The waiting is painful. The waiting is lonely. We have all of this expectation for what that guy, that Mashiach, will do for us. This one Messiah would have to accomplish cosmic level things. Let me, just, let me just give you three of the ones I just hinted at. The Mashiach that they're waiting for, the Christ that they're waiting for, would, be, would come and would crush the serpent's head, which means the Messiah that would come would defeat evil and darkness permanently. Small expectation to have of that guy. Another thing that we're told is that if he's Abraham's seed, if he's coming from the line of Abraham, he will be the one to bless the whole world. So we got one guy, okay, tough job description. You have to crush evil and defeat evil and darkness and you need to bless the whole world. Oh, and also you need to be a prophet greater than Moses. So you need to lead people out of a greater slavery and into a greater promised land than the one that our ancestors knew. Oh, and then also if you're coming from the line of David, then you're gonna be the king who will not just defeat our ultimate enemy, you're gonna be the king who will sit on his throne forever. So a king who will never lose his throne, a prophet who will lead God's people out of slavery and into the promised land, a a seed that will crush the serpent's hand and will bless the whole world. Small order. That's just four of the hopes that all of Israel would have had for this Messiah to come and do. And so all the longings, all the expectations that a first century Jew had for their Messiah, like, We don't even really have a category of like the hype that was around this dude. Like, what is this guy going to be? And no one can live up to this hype. No one can live up to the expectations of what this one Messiah would do. And so Philip has the audacity when he comes to his friend Nathaniel in Bethsaida and he says to him, we found him. The guy, the Messiah, the Christ is here. We found him. But what Nathaniel knows in his response is, okay, I know what you mean when you say the one is here. I know what we've all been waiting and hoping for and the expectations we have of this. Here's the little factoid that Nathan knows is, Nathan knows where Philip just came from. Did, didn't you just come from Nazareth? Didn't you? Okay, well, that's fine. Uh, but that's not possible. It's not possible for that guy to be from that place. Being a good Jew, Nathaniel knows that there are zero prophecies in the Old Testament that say that the Messiah will come from Nazareth. So it's not even just that Nathaniel had like a prejudice or was racist against people from Nazareth, maybe a little bit of that, but it's more like logical, like, hey dude, I know what we've been waiting on and it is, we are not told that our Messiah will come from Nazareth. That's not possible. It's kind of like Jamaican bobsled team, which watched Cool Runnings last week with my kids. Still holds up, still great. Uh, but it's like that kind of stuff doesn't come from that kind of place. Like these two things don't make sense. I'm sorry, like I know, I know the expectations that we have for our Messiah and that doesn't come from that kind of place. If you can see even in this brief interaction, Nathaniel rightfully has this enormous set of expectations for the Christ. He had an enormous amount of expectations for what could and couldn't be true about the Messiah. And what is happening in real time with Nathaniel as Philip tells him about the Messiah that is from Nazareth, what's being revealed are his expectations of the Messiah. 
His expectations are colliding with the real Jesus. Because there's just one problem with Nathaniel's expectations for Jesus. Jesus is from Nazareth. And so he's going, well, I have this set of expectations. I have this set of our Messiah can't be from that place. Good stuff doesn't come from that place. And so the one that I'm expecting to come can't come from that area. There's just one problem with that. He has come from that area. Jesus is from Nazareth. So what's happening is this collision of Nathaniel's expectations of the Messiah and the real Messiah. The tension and the punch of this little interaction is what's happening to Nathaniel in real time. He cannot resolve his expectations of Jesus with the real Jesus he's encountering. Or let me put it even more bluntly. Jesus isn't meeting the expectations that Nathaniel had for him. Can you relate to that? Can you relate to having expectations for Jesus? What he should be doing for you, what he should be fixing for you, what he should be changing about your life, what he should be allowing to happen, what he shouldn't have allowed to have happened, and him not meeting those expectations for you. Where are your, where, where are our, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Can the Messiah really come from Nazareth? Where do we ask that question? Can Jesus actually, can the real Jesus let my marriage be this way? Can Jesus actually let my story play out this way? Can Jesus let me be single forever? The real Jesus would never do that. Can Jesus actually let injustice continue to happen in this city? If Jesus were real, the real Jesus, my Jesus, would never do those things. He can't be from Nazareth. Can Jesus actually let me continue to struggle paycheck to paycheck? He, he, he doesn't want that for me, right? My Jesus would not do that. He can't actually be from Nazareth. He can't actually let me worry about money every month for the rest of my life, can he? Can the real Jesus actually call me to suffer and not understand what I'm going through? Certainly he would not do that. The real Jesus would not come from Nazareth. The real Jesus would not let these things, no, he would never. He could never be from Nazareth. He would never let these things happen. I will not accept a Jesus, and I certainly don't want a Jesus like that. That's what's happening in the passage. If you don't know what expectations you have for Jesus that he's not meeting for you, if that's kind of a new concept or like I haven't thought about that, which is, by the way, usually where our expectations of him live. They live in the shadows until, until they don't, <laughs> like until something doesn't meet your expectations. And it's like, oh, I've been walking around with this set of expectations for him for a long time. And now that it hasn't been met, I guess I've been carrying this with me. If you don't know those areas, Look at where, two, two areas in your life. Look at where you are easily angered or where you are anxious. If you follow those places where you are easily angered and where you are anxious, you'll follow those down the thread of where you'll find, they'll lead you to, I have these expectations for Jesus. This is what I think he should be doing for me. And the fact that he's not means I'm getting easily angered and I'm anxious about him not doing them for me because I think he should be doing them for me. <laughs> and near the bottom of that place, you'll find places where your deepest longings lie. You'll find the places where your deepest desires sit. 
you'll, you'll find something close to the eternity in your soul, like Ecclesiastes 3 talks about. You'll find something near the cosmic level groans that you have. And this is where we see Nathaniel. He has a set of expectations about the Messiah and what all the hopes of the Old Testament was pointing to, and that is now colliding with a Jesus who is not meeting them. So what does Nathaniel do in that place? I want you to hear, if you can relate to Nathaniel, which I can, a Jesus that's not meeting your expectations for him, I want you to hear the invitation to someone who's in that place. It's in our, it's in our story. Verse 46, we throw this back up, Allie. Verse 46, Nathaniel said to him, that's Philip, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Not my Messiah, my Messiah doesn't come from Nazareth. Philip said to him, come and see. Come and see. I know you've got hangups, I know you've got dashed expectations, I know you've got hurt, I know you've got scars. I know you've already got a narrative written about how this was supposed to go. But would you, would you risk to come and see the real Jesus? Would you risk to come and behold him? Would you risk to come and listen to him? Would you come and see the real Jesus of Nazareth before you write him off with your expectations and his missed expectations for you? Before you conclude that it's, it's over and that story is not worth exploring, before you do that, will you just come and see the real thing? Will you come and encounter the real Jesus of Nazareth? I know he's hurt your expectations. I know he's not living up to your expectations. Will you come and see him? Will you come and behold him? Will you come and listen to him? And guess what happens? Nathaniel goes which is kind of amazing, it's kind of huge, especially if you can relate and if you can kind of get inside the skin of Nathaniel and go, man, I get it. I don't wanna go encounter a Jesus that's already let me experience what I've experienced. I don't wanna encounter a Jesus that is only going to let my expectations down again. But Nathaniel goes. He doesn't let his conclusions about Jesus stop him from coming to see. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Not sure I trust a Messiah from Nazareth. Not sure I want that guy. But he still comes to see. He still comes to explore. He doesn't let the certainty of his pre-conclusions stop him from encountering the real Jesus. And I would say the invitation is on the table for you too. So Nathaniel comes and sees Jesus. And this is what Jesus says to him in the very next verse. It says, Jesus saw Nathaniel coming toward him and said of him, as he's walking up to him, behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. To which Nathanael responds, how do you know me? When Nathanael comes to see Jesus, Jesus tells him something that he already knows about Nathanael and something about what Jesus says to Nathanael. Again, we're not told a whole lot of this, but something goes really deep. It cuts to the heart of Nathanael. It strikes at the deepest place because here's what he responds to Jesus. I feel so known by you. I, what, what, why, why, why an Israelite in whom there is no deceit? Why that like struck at the heart of Nathaniel, I don't know. But something did. Because listen to what he doesn't say. He says to Jesus, how do you know me? He doesn't say, how do you know facts about me? He's not saying, how do you know like biographical or, or like uh, personality traits about me? Who told you about that? He's saying, how do you know me? Something about you, Jesus, saying that Let's me know as the listener, you, you know me. 
You get me? My thoughts are, are, are near to you. You've been like, you've been inside the conversation I've been having between my ears. You know all that. You, you know me. When Nathaniel comes to see Jesus, he encounters a Jesus that already knows him, deeply knows him. How do you know me? I've got a note right here to check the clock. I'm on time. We're doing okay. To which Jesus responds to him. This is, this is a, a kind of a, a little weird sentence from Jesus. Um, there's a lot of thought about what he's talking about. But he says, to which Jesus, when, he, when Nathaniel says to him, how do you know me? Jesus responds, before Philip called you, before Philip even told you who I was, that he had found me, before any of that, I saw, I saw you under the fig tree. When you were under the fig tree, I saw you. And, and again, what did he mean by that? Like, what's the symbolism of the fig tree? And what was, he, what was Nathaniel doing under the fig tree that made Nathaniel feel so? No, no one knows. He may have just been hanging out under a fig tree. I don't know. But for whatever reason, he thought there's no possible way anybody could have known I was under that fig tree. And certainly couldn't have seen me under the fig tree and know a deep thing about me. And so if you've ever known dashed expectations of Jesus, this is critical for you to see. When you come and see Jesus, when you take the invitation to come and see the real Jesus, it doesn't really matter what you've already decided is true about him. Why? Because when you come and see him, he already sees and knows you. Like, you're not the prime mover. And you coming to see Jesus isn't you coming to let Jesus know you. Like, I got some things I need to talk about with Jesus. He knows. I've got to tell Jesus where I've been, and he's got to understand all my questions, and he's got to, he's got to be able to explain, and I've got to be able to fully understand it. No, when you come and see Jesus, he already sees and knows you, which means this. He's already looking out for you. He's already moving towards you. He already has his gaze set upon you. The Jesus you've written off, the Jesus you've got major issues with, the Jesus who isn't meeting your expectations, listen to this, doesn't let your conclusions about him stop him from moving towards you. When Nathaniel was in his, can any, my Messiah doesn't come from Nazareth. I don't want a Messiah from Nazareth. I don't like a Messiah from Nazareth. That's not my Messiah. Guess what Jesus was already doing before that sentence? He was already looking out for him. He was already moving towards him. He already had his eye on him. And Jesus doesn't let Nathaniel's dashed expectations and conclusions about Jesus stop him from moving towards Nathaniel. In other words, nothing you could do could stop Jesus from coming after you. That's why we just baptize these babies. Nothing you could do or question about him or conclude about him, nothing you've said or thought or degraded him about could stop him from moving towards you. It's, it's got echoes of the prodigal father in Luke 15, the younger brother who squanders the wealth and goes to the far country and then comes to his senses and he decides what he's going to say to his dad when he goes home and he already pre-rehearses the speech. He's already got his conclusions going about what he's gonna say to his dad when he gets back home in the prodigal son parable. We're told that the father, while the son was still a long way off, hikes up his cloak and runs to him. If he's already running to him while the son's still a long way off, what does that mean was true about the father before the son started his trek home? He was already looking for him. 
He was already wanting him home. He already had his gaze set upon him. This is the Jesus you're invited to come and see. The one who already sees and knows you. The one who doesn't let what you think about him change what he thinks about you. This is the Jesus you're invited to come and see. But it gets better and more cryptic. Verse 50 and 51, this is how this, is how this strange little passage, this strange little interaction closes. It's so mysterious and yet so precious. Jesus answered him, because after, after, hold on, before I read that, sorry. Uh, Jesus, when Jesus says to him, I saw you under the fig tree, Nathaniel like places faith in him. He goes, you're the, you're the king of Israel, you're the dude. I don't know how you know all that, but you, you're, you're, I believe in you. Surely you are the king of Israel, you're the Messiah, you're the Christ. And then Jesus says to him, verse 50 and 51, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? Like, is that all it took? Like, dude, that, that, that's great, but I got, there's, there's way more stuff. That's what he says. He says, and he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see, or he says, you will see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. You will see greater things than these. And then he says, oh, and you're going to see this weirdly mystic, cryptic thing that I just said. Which sounds weird and cryptic to us, and it certainly would have been weird and cryptic to Nathaniel and Philip standing there, but not as cryptic. And here's why. What Jesus just did at the end of our passage is he confirms the first thing that Philip says about Jesus. Remember when Philip says, I found him of whom all the law and the prophets, Moses and the law and the prophets, all, I found the guy that the whole Old Testament is about. Jesus just said, yeah, and let me, let me pluck one of those stories out and show you how that story from the Old Testament was really about me. That whole story that you know from the Old Testament, it was actually about me. What's the story? What story did Jesus just pluck out with that little sentence at the end of our passage? You will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. So way back in the, in the book of Genesis, Abraham's grandson, Father Abraham had Isaac, Isaac had Jacob. Jacob was on the run from his brother Esau, who he had lied and swindled and deceived and stolen the birthright. And so Esau, big bro, wants to kill little brother. Not like, I'm gonna kill you, but like, I'm actually going to kill you. And so Jacob's on the run. Jacob's running for his life. He's a swindler and he's a deceiver and he's running and he's a schemer and he's, he's out in the wilderness alone and he doesn't know where his, where his home is. He doesn't know how his life's gonna work out. And he falls asleep and he has this dream, Jacob's famous dream. And in that dream, Jacob sees this stairway ascending up to heaven and he sees on this stairway these angels ascending and descending, same phrasing, ascending and descending up and down this stairway. What, what is left out, if you don't understand necessarily all of, of, of ancient uh, Near East culture, was that what the word that's used about Jacob's dream, what staircase he saw was a staircase that was on the sides of these massive temples in ancient Mesopotamia. They were known as ziggurats. And these massive like pyramid-shaped temples that had these massive stairwells climbing up to the top of it. And they built these things huge on top of mountains to try to get as close to heaven as they could because what humans believed was Somehow the divine presence rests above us and humans have to climb the stairwell in order to get up to the divine presence. So there were ziggurats all over the ancient world. 
And Jacob sees one of these in his dream. He sees these stair, this stairwell, this massive staircase heading up to heaven. And so in order to worship gods in the ancient world, people would have to ascend the steps to the summit, a staircase on the side of a temple. But what's remarkable about Jacob's dream is that he sees God in his dream, not at the top of the stairway, but at the bottom, standing next to him. Jacob does not, in his dream, Jacob does not have to make the arduous ascent of the staircase to meet with God at the top. In Jacob's dream, God has bypassed the staircase, bypassed the angels. He has come down the staircase and stands looking at Jacob sleeping beside him. In other words, Jacob sees a God who is not far off in heaven, but down on earth with him. And Jacob discovers in his dream that God is not in this place I must ascend to, but somehow mysteriously in my dream, God is where I am. God has come down to me at the bottom. And here's what Jesus just did, looking at Nathaniel and Philip. Here's what he just said to him with this cryptic message at the end. That story was about me. I'm the culmination of that story too, and here's the best part. And you're not dreaming right now, Nathaniel. I'm actually in front of you. The God in that dream is right here looking at you in the face. What Jacob dreamed about, you're getting to experience. God has actually come down to you and you're looking at him. See, it's not just in the previous part of the interaction that Jesus says to Nathaniel, I see you and I know you. That, that's wonderful. Here's what he tells, here's, here's how he closes this, this interaction. Here's the one step further that Jesus goes, I don't just see you and I know you, I'm with you. The God that stood with Jacob at the bottom in the dream is the God who's standing in front of you and is with you now, Nathaniel. And so what, what if Jesus, like what if he actually knew what he was doing? What if he actually was a master teacher? What if he actually knew what was going on in the heart of Nathaniel with all of Nathaniel's dashed expectations of the Messiah? What if he's actually trying to, by telling them that story, what if he's actually trying to get to the deepest longing and expectation that Nathaniel truly has? Not whether or not he's from Nazareth. He's like, That's, we, can, we can fill that up. I'll show you my birth certificate. Like, I'll show you my home address. Like, I got it. Nazareth, I, I'll show it to you. But what if I'm actually in the midst of all the dashed expectations, what if in the middle of that he's actually trying to get to the place where the deepest expectation, the deepest desire lies? What if our deepest expectation and longing of Jesus was not that he would take away the things that aren't going our way, was not to give us a pay raise or perfect kids, What if our deepest desire in the midst of those pains was that we would believe that he was with us? It's great if you see me and it's great if you know me. What I'm dying to know, Jesus, is am I all alone and are you gonna leave me all alone? Jesus of Nazareth just told you the answer to that question. I know you have expectations of me. I know you didn't want it to go this way. I know that you want me to change things. I, I know, I know all that. I know you. I see you and I know you. What Jesus of Nazareth just told you is that there's no mountain to climb, there's no steps to ascend, there's no achievement to secure. He's come down the steps to the bottom to be with you. So whatever story you've written about him, whatever story you're writing about him, 
Would you dare to come and see the real him? The one who sees you, the one who knows you, and the one who's with you at the bottom. Let's pray. Jesus, it's disarming. Uh, It's actually terrifying. It's unnerving to come and see you when we have so many stories and conclusions and expectations about you that we don't like. But would you remove all of our false narratives about you? Would you remove the, would you untangle the web? Would you, would you rewrite the stories? Would you rewire the brain as we come and see the real Jesus that actually proves how much better you are than what we thought you were? You don't just see us and you don't just know us. You're with us. Down at the bottom. Thank you that through your coming, you've come down to us and not asked us to ascend to you. And that what Jacob dreamed about, we actually know to be true. Meet us now in this time and space, Jesus, as we gather and close and worship to you. We love you in your name. Amen.